0: about you but i'm excited to be here today you guys doing all right this is the week uh, yeah very good (laughs) thankful thankful to see kelly here that's right kelly it's good to see you this morning she was in the hospital this last week and uh they did some minor surgery on her well i guess it all depends on how you look at it you know it's minor when it's on me but it's major when it's on on you right so anyways uh they did some really major uh, surgery on her, and, and thank God that all things are so far so good. Amen. Amen. We want to keep praying for uh, those that are within our church that also need prayer. Some of you probably don't remember um, uh, Israel and uh, and Donna. Uh, there, Israel is uh, Israel Senior's son and Mary, very close uh, family members, members of the family. They've been. Here at this church, they moved up the hill. They've been up there for, well, I would say close to 15 years now. But when they were here, it was a huge, huge loss. It was close to about 40 of them (laughs) that used to attend our church at that time. And a few families that left. But uh, we've been very connected with them. They lost their son this last week. And um, we'll be having a funeral service here pretty soon. And it will be up in Victorville, I believe. But uh, keep the Gutierrez family in prayer. Any other uh, prayer petitions that we may have that you'd like to... Uh, just lift up this morning. We want to continue to pray for Joan. Uh, Joan, we, we thank you and we, we appreciate your friendship and your, your love. And uh, we also want to pray for Sylvia. Sylvia and uh, her son, Ernie. We call him little Ernie. And um, we also want to continue to pray for Ralph and, uh, and Marcella as well. And uh, anybody else? Don't be shy. The Lord knows what your petitions are. They know what it is that you need. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate it. Bill of Health, how's that? Yes. Thank you, brother. Well, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as I mentioned, God knows your petitions. He knows what it is that's in your heart. He knows what it is that, uh, that you, uh, you personally need. And uh, we, we want to continue lifting those prayers up, first and foremost, Lord, because sometimes those are the ones that don't seem to, we think, don't matter, but they matter a lot to us. They matter a lot to each one of us and i, and I pray for those unspoken requests uh, to fill the need of every person that is that is here first of all and the families that they represent to take care of and to help them in their time of of pain and of sorrow and agony and loss lord as well so we lift up those that are here and those that are on their way we thank you for them and uh, we pray that you continue to bless and watch over uh, each one and those that are within the hearing of my my voice and and lord i just pray that you you Uh, Just visit with each person today as you help us to understand the importance of the church, not only the importance, not only the essential, the essentialness of the church as they're trying to make and see what is essential and what is not, but, but the importance and the gifts that you've given to each one, each church, Lord. And I lift up to you the, the prayer petitions that we have. We thank you for Kelly. We celebrate the fact that she's uh, with us today and we celebrate the fact that you've, you've intervened in such a powerful and magnificent way. So we lift her up to you and Ken and thank you for his faithfulness and his strength in, in leading his family. Uh, we lift up to you Ralph and Marcella and uh, I pray continuous healing upon their life and for Joan and and uh, we lift up to you, Sylvia and Little Lurney, Lord, and we just thank you for their life and their commitment to you, and uh, how they still participate with uh, with North Park and those that uh, participate with us online. We lift up to you a very special uh, prayer of of comfort to the Gutierrez family as they are experiencing the loss of their son, um, husband, uh, father, grandfather, and, and Lord, uh, Israel was a very a big part of their life and. And Father, I pray that you fill that void with your comfort, with your, with, with your voice, with your arms of loving care, with those that come around them to, to encourage them and to lift them up. And Father, this morning, I, I want to thank you for taking care of me and my family and, and a, a continued bill of health in my life as well as I travel uh, to, to see uh, my mom, my family this weekend. Lord, just give us traveling mercy. Give me traveling mercy as I travel up the road and, uh, and uh, just be with my mom as well. And Father, there are a lot of other petitions that we haven't lifted up, those that are, within, uh, that are listening to us online. And I pray a very special blessing upon each one of them because it is your word that we come to hear. We come to be encouraged by you. And, and uh, there are many things that we can really bring before you on this table. But we want to give thanks uh, this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. We want to give thanks for our family. We want to give thanks for our church. We want to give thanks for our church family. We want to give thanks for what you have done for us on the cross. We want to give thanks for how it is that we're going to be able to spend time with family and friends and to celebrate what you've done for us. Help us to be bold in our witness. Help us to be on point as far as what we say and how that witness is very important. So thank you, Lord, uh, from the bottom of our heart for this place to be able to worship in the midst of this powerful wind that is outside. We are safe and secure in here in a nice, warm, dry place In in the valleys that are throughout this whole world and just the struggles that people go through. Lord, we have a place to come to. And we just thank you for that. So lead us this morning through your word. We, we, we know that your word has been preserved for us. And your word that you'll speak to us today through, it, it'll encourage us for today and give us the nourishment that we need. And, and help us to understand the, the significance of this passage. As some have really struggled with this passage, Lord, give us insight and help us to see what it is you're, you're sharing with North Park Baptist Church today. So once again, Lord, we give this, play, this time to you. And we celebrate your presence, and we expect a word from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. few verses that we're going to go through today. And as I've mentioned before, there are a lot of things that, uh, that seem to pop up uh, throughout the studies that we've done. And as we've looked at the scriptures, uh, we, we've been going systematically through each book and each chapter and each uh, and the verses, and and we stop and we we hone in on a few verses. But but it's it's important. I, I really, uh, if I'd have been crafting my own messages in such a way to be able to uh, get the full impact, I probably would have saved this message for Christmas time instead of Thanksgiving, because this is a message of giving. Okay, God gives gifts to the church god's gifts to the church and so we know that god is a giving god he gave us eternal life he gave us the ability to gather together as uh, brothers and sisters he's given us the gift of salvation he's given us the gift of leadership of understanding he's given us the gift of his word his word has is has had an impact on many people and i pray that it's having an impact on you as well and so Today's message is more on God's giving. What did he give to the church? And a lot of times we're told that we should give to God our service, give to God our talents, our time, our treasures. And we are instructed, sometimes even demanded to give of our time and demanded to give of our treasures, demanded to give of our talents. And and so what God has done for you and for me, he's given us. He is now the giver. and And as king, he rightly deserves the gifts. He rightly deserves what is rightly his. And in this passage, Paul pulls out a text from the Old Testament in Psalm in Psalm 96, uh, 68, excuse me. He pulls out a, a, Psalm from a, Psalm, a passage from Psalm 68 to get this point across. Now, as we've been going through this portion of Scripture, I've been mentioning to you that God from the very beginning, the foundations of the world... What he did is he established a church. He, he selected you, he, he called you, he predestined you, he, he wrote down your name in a book of life, and that book of life was from the foundations of the earth. And from the very beginning, he has chosen for himself a church. You are not an afterthought. You are not something, well, okay, he messed up, let me save him as well. And He wasn't waiting for you to beg Him to come into His presence. He wasn't waiting for you to make up your mind. God predestined and sovereignly chosen the time and the location and the place where you were to respond to this grace, this amazing grace that theologians call irresistible grace, and that you cannot resist this grace because it is so powerful and dynamic in your life and that it it transforms you. It literally, Jesus says, you are born again. You're a new individual. And so God, from the very beginning, has been selecting and putting together His church. And some of you, as, was, as myself, would wonder, why would God choose me? And He did. And he chose me in spite of all the stupidness that I'd done before and all the dumb things I'm going to do in the future. God picked us out, handpicked us for this time. And so you are a very integral part of this ministry, of this church body, of this family. You are a very important part of this family, of this church. You are are blessed and you have gifts yourself. So we're going to talk about here in just a bit. But but most importantly, God has been putting this together, and He paid the price. He caused all these things to come to fruition, just so that His His magnificence and His glory can be glorified. His personhood. Everything is about God. God wants to be magnified. He wants to be glorified. We saw this here just uh, just recently, where where we looked at how all these things are coming to uh, coming uh, unfolding in in uh, Ephesians chapter three. And we looked at verses 7 and on. It says, of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And Paul is kind of is blown away. He's he said in past passages where he says, you know, I, I am the worst of the bunch. I am the worst of sinners. I, I am, you know, the least of the apostles. I, I am by no means qualified to handle this gospel, yet he gave it to me. And he goes on to say, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now look at this, and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers And authorities in the heavenly places. Now we spent some time in this portion of Scripture, talking about how these authorities and these rulers in the heavenly places are the the, the angels, the heavenly beings that are that are watching and looking over all what God is doing, and what He wants to do is to show off His wisdom through you, so that these angelic hosts can see and praise God and see His magnificent and manifold wisdom. And so... When, when we are not involved in the ministry or in the part that Jesus Christ himself died for, and, and when we're not involved in, in giving glory to God, when we're not involved in expressing the manifold wisdom of God, it, it, it kind of puts a crimp in, in the things that well God wants to do because he's gifted all of you. He's gifted all of us so that he can show his wisdom to these angels, to the rulers, to the authorities behind the scenes. And, and as the church starts to grow, and starts to unfold, the angels are sitting, looking over through heaven, and they're saying, oh, I get it. I get what God has been doing all this time. Now, most people think the church is a place to come together and just have fellowship and have fun. But you know, which which we should. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have. You know, most people think the church is a place where we go out and evangelize and bring the lost in, which we we ought to. That's part of our our makeup. We ought to evangelize and bring people in. Some people believe that the purpose of the church is for worship. Some people think it's for fellowship, some think people think it's for ministry, to get things done. And all those things are part of what we do. But the purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. It's all centered upon God himself. He desires all the worship. He desires all the ministry. And it is to him and only him that we do anything that we do. So when we are gifted, and God's not going to call you to do something. He's not going to build the church without providing for it in some sense. It matters not how small or insignificant you may feel or how big and great you think you may be. God will take what he's given you for the benefit of his church. Many of us, including myself, never thought I'd be in this position to be able to teach and to preach. But as I look back over my life and I see the spiritual markers on how God had been preparing me for this moment, I remember when I first went to uh, this church that, that where we were saved in, in um in Fresno and and I was very diligent in going to the Sunday school class before the worship service in church every Sunday we'd come back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights we would be there every time the doors were open we were there because we wanted to be a part of this church we wanted to learn and one day we had what what we call the uh, Sunday school superintendent, this overseer of all the classes that were in this building. You know, he was overseeing the preschool, the children's, the youth, and the adults. And they had different ranges of, of adults, different ages for young adults, middle adults, older adults, English and Spanish. And so they had all these different classes. And one day, the young adults, which I was, and still am, I guess, a part of, the young adult's teacher didn't show up. And the superintendent came up to me and he says, Look, Sal, you know what? Um... The teacher didn't show up. And I'd like to know if you can just take on this class, you know, just read through this book. And he gives it to me. And after that, he gave it to me, the material and everything else. I couldn't hear nothing else. I was like. And and as he's talking, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't hear anything. And it, I don't know, I must have been there like for an hour. No, but it wasn't that long. And whatever it was that he said, it just shocked me. And I'm holding on to this book. And I go, but where did he go? <laughs> I can't do this. And, and as I'm standing at the door, some of the students are walking in, oh, you're going to be teaching today. I, I, oh, no? Yeah, well, you know, you got the material. Where's John? And well, John couldn't make it. And well, needless to say that I was ill-prepared and I picked up the book and I read it word for word to the class and everybody enjoyed it. I don't know what they actually got out of it. I was sweating bullets. I was crying. I said, you know what? After the class, I gave it back to the Sunday school superintendent. Here, here you go. You know, hopefully, John will be back next week. Well, the following week, same thing happened. I saw him come, and I tried to run. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> He's not able to make it again today. They said, you did an excellent job. I says, I did not. I know I didn't. And so there I am again. And it came to be somewhat of a task for me at that point. And uh, so they said, it looks like you're going to be it. And everybody was in agreement. Yeah, you can do it, Sal. I went home and I prayed and I fasted and I cried and, you know, I I just studied and I read and I had material and books and all kinds of stuff that I was picking up and trying to figure out how to do this lesson plans, how to teach a class. Back then, we didn't have YouTube, you know, and so I'm reading and reading every day, late at night, early in the morning, just, Lord, how do I do this? And I'd show up and I'd fumble through all the classes and, you know, people started coming. Hey, you ought to come to this class. This guy's pretty funny. You should see him mess up. No, I don't know what he was saying. But but I was just, you know, getting into the word. I'm going to tell you something. I don't really know or understand why and all that happened at that time. But I know one thing. Me personally, I grew more in that time than probably in all my life. I've been to seminary. I've been to college. But it was during that dependence on God. Now I've grown up and become a little bit big, too big for my britches. And sometimes, okay, God, I know this stuff. You know, I can do this. You know, I can take a, a test. And, and we need to get back to the basics. Back to the basics, to what, what God has called us to do, to, to depend upon him. Yes, it's scary, but it's exciting. It's exhilarating. And God wants to do this through you. And so the church, you know, the church itself, it's God's growth. It's his pride. He's the one that built it. He's the one that's building it. Jesus himself said, you are Peter. And on this rock, he says, I will build my church. You don't have to build it. I will build it. Just be obedient to what it is that I've called you to do. And so as we get to that point, there are are three things that I want you to know today out of this portion of Scripture from verses 7 through 11. Okay. number one, the first thing I want you to know is that God created you with a gift. God created you with a gift. Now, because He created you, because He knit you in, in your mother's womb, because He formed you before the foundations of the world, because He knew who you were going to be, He had already gifted you with the gift that you need, one gift, the gift that you need to accomplish the task that this church needs. As a matter of fact, when Paul starts off, we, we go back to verse chapter 4, remember, that uh, what Paul is talking about, he says, I want you to walk in this manner, walk in all humility and all gentleness and all patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Yes. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this verse that I pray, Lord, that we can just take this one verse and apply it to our life. Even right now. You have given us a gift. You have given us by by the grace that was given to us to each one of us, according to the measure of your gifts, you gave us one, not according to my measure, Not according to the world's major or anybody else, but according to what you know that I need for this church. And Lord, help us to understand this portion of scripture. Well, it gets complicated, I know. But help us to get through that part so we can see what it is that each one of us can do. It was amazing, Lord. Just amazing to see the unity that took place this last Wednesday. And I know, Father, that you've got greater plans. So I pray, Father, that we understand and we move forward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was interesting that on Wednesday, somebody asked, well, who's coming? It was already close to the time that we're supposed to start. We, everybody get here at five, it was like five minutes to five, so who's going to be here? And I go, well, probably just people that you see at church, you know. <laughs> but one by one, families started to show up. You invited people. People came, they contributed, and, and it just turned out to be an amazing event. It was it was such a powerful testimony as to the unity of the church. And every one of you brought something different. Every one of you, as you were gifted, you served, you helped clean up, you helped set up. And and it was just a, a, a tremendous work. It was as if somebody had choreographed this all together. And it wasn't me, and it wasn't necessarily my wife. All we did was just laid it out. This is what we need. And you filled that need. The firefighters that were appreciated, they were just they were so overwhelmed by the love that you showed and how they were truly and genuinely uh, really appreciated. It, it was so much so that the captain of the fire department team, first time ever, he called me and he says, I just want to thank you once again. You know, thank you for just inviting us and and and, and being helping us be a part of this congregation. And, and the, the brother was a believer. He's a believer up in Apple Valley. But but it was just it was just amazing to see it happen. It, we left here just full. Wow, Lord, you did this, you know. I mean, I couldn't do it, and and just just to say you you have you have done an amazing work, and I know that you can do another one. Now, this is not something that we want to do on a regular basis, but but we can do something similar just by your giftedness. See, two things happen when you operate in your giftedness and whatever God has given you. you two things will happen. Number one. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find fulfillment. You know, this was fun. This was great. Yeah, it was work. It was hard. I got home late. I'm a little bit tired, you know, but, but it was fun. I, I am fulfilled. And number two, you'll find fruitfulness. When you operate out of your spiritual giftedness, you find fruitfulness. You'll find fulfillment and it'll multiply just like it did on Wednesday. Some, some were concerned. You know, I only, I thought it was only going to just be a little bit of us and, or maybe just for the fire. I only brought a little. Don't worry about it. God will multiply it. And I don't know about you guys. I don't think anybody went home hungry, did they? You know? So some people took a lot of stuff home and and that was great. It was like Jesus multiplying the five loaves and the two fish. And, And so it was, it was just enough. It was just right and it was sufficient for everyone. And, and so in the same sense, you find not only fulfillment, but you find fruitfulness when you operate on the opposite side outside of your giftedness. When you are asked to do, and here's what's happened in the past in a lot of churches. In a lot of churches, people get asked to do things. Like, for instance, in my case, here, do this. I, no, it brings frustration. The, the, the great thing was is that God already knew that he had gifted me with the gift of teaching. And, and so, and, and I don't know how this person really knew that that was my gift. He just needed a body to fill this room. And that's how we treat sometimes the people that come to church. We need a body to take care of this. And if you're not gifted for that area, it brings frustration, not only for you, but for those that you're ministering to. We need somebody in the nursery department. I don't like kids. Well, you got to fill you got to fill the spot. Come on, Ken. You take care. Know. You know, Ken is going to be frustrated. The kids are going to be crying. Everybody's going to be frustrated. The parents are going to be frustrated if you're not. You know, and I know, Ken, you love kids. I've seen you with children, and you. Love, I'm just picking on you because it's easy. Sorry. It's not the first time exactly. <laughs> yes, that's right. But what I'm saying is that when you're not operating in your giftedness, it'll bring frustration. It will. And you'll be frustrated and you'll feel like a failure. In, in, in operating in your gifts, you'll, you'll have fulfillment and you'll have fruitfulness. In operating outside of your giftedness, it brings frustration and you'll feel like a failure. As a matter of fact, a lot of people have left the church because they say, yes, I'm not good at this. You know, I, I can't do this. I can't even I can't even take care of kids or I can't even do this or, you know, and they say, forget it, man. You know, I can't do that. And so it is important for you to pray and ask God, OK, Lord, what am I gifted in? And here's a, here's a key. Here's something that you might want to start thinking about. What is one thing that you that maybe you don't know that you can do this well, but everybody tells you you can do this well. Hey, that's pretty good. You know, you sing well, you type well, you speak well, you, you know, you, you you manage things well. You, you know, you, you serve well. You're a great servant. You know, you're kind. Whatever it is that you do that people can notice, and then on the flip side, what you do, that's nothing. I mean, anybody can do that. You know, I wish I could do X, Y, Z, and say, but I'm doing A, B, and C. You know, I don't want to, anybody can do that. When you look at something that you probably think it's like nothing, that is your gift. When you believe that you can't do that because, even though everybody says you can, that more than likely is what God has gifted you with. Now, there are a lot of things that you can do as far as talents are concerned, abilities that you have. You know, one of the things that I found out, even my brand new grandson, he has the ability of letting you know when he's hungry. Now, I got that same ability. (laughs) But not as loud. Well, maybe my wife will differ. But he has that ability to be able to tell you when he's uncomfortable. Something's wrong. You have that ability. Well, some of you have that ability. Now, I, on the opposite end of that, my, my oldest daughter, uh, which sits here with me, she, she, she doesn't have that ability. You know, there's something wrong in her, in her, uh, in her mental capacity. And I don't want to have to say that about our church. There's something wrong with our spiritual capacity. Because you have the ability to, not everybody has that same ability. Some of you can drive and not everybody can drive. Some of you can text and some of you can barely talk on the phone. You know, there's things that you can do and there's things that you can't do. But when somebody says you do that well, don't say, well, that's no big deal. Look at it. What is God? What would God do with this gift that I have? If it's just stacking up chairs, if it's just making a phone call, if it's texting, you know, it would be interesting. It would be nice to have somebody just to text people that don't come here no more, you know, because for whatever reason, hey, we missed you. You know, it was nice. to, uh, the, the, You know, the message was good. Here's a copy of the link. Listen to it. Just encourage them. People show up. They come back when they know that somebody cares. You see, you were given. You were given, Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure According to the measure that each one of us have Uh, some of the verses that you have there as in first Peter 410, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You have a gift. God knew from the very beginning what gift you would need, and He built you for it. He gave you the temperament for it. He gave you the personality for it. He gave you the experiences for it. He's given you some vocational work for it. He's even given you some encouragement for it. People come up and say, you're good at it. That gift is for the church. And it's not just for the church for us. It's to bring glory to God. See how it all starts off at the ground level, but ultimately when we look at it, I'm doing this for God. I can care less if the pastor likes it or not. I can care less if no, you know, people laugh at me or making fun of me. But I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing this for God. It ultimately ends up there. And each believer's gift is unique. You have a very unique gift. Now, there there are just a few gifts that we'll talk about today. There's four of them, five of them that we'll look at. They call it the fivefold ministry of the church, which two of them are right away are discounted. But you have gifts, and within those gifts, you have this this uh, Multifaceted area of ministry, like a diamond. You look at a diamond and it's just when you turn it, the way it splashes all over the walls of your face, and, and that's the way your gift is. For instance, you may have the gift of teaching, okay? And every one of us teaches to some extent. Some of you are gifted more with the teaching of children. You're very patient with them. You have the spiritual gift of encouragement as well. You have love. You have compassion. And somehow something there has, has you've been designed with it. But you have the ability to teach. Some of you have the ability to teach in schools. Some of you have that ability to teach in at work. Uh, at the church, uh, wherever it might be. You might be a teacher if you like to disseminate information. You like to get information and make it simple for someone to, to see. Not everybody can be a pastor teacher. Not everybody can be a, a, a teacher of a school, but you can teach children. You teach at home. Moms teach your kids all the time. And then you teach them discipline as well. And so it's multifaceted. You might have the gift of spiritual of teaching, But that teaching is multifaceted in so many various areas. And so it's the measure that God gives you to be able to accomplish these gifts. In Romans 12, 6, Paul says this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And what Paul is saying here in this verse. Whoops. I don't have the gift of sense. I just realized that. What Paul is saying here is that you have gifts and they differ from everyone else. You can't ask for your gift. You know, during Christmas time, well, you know, our family's a little bit weird that way. We we ask this is what we'd like, and we put up this shopping list, and everybody goes in there and buys and whatever. And so that's that's kind of the gift. But you'll get gifts that you didn't ask for. You'll get a gift because somebody says, you know, you can really use this. Another egg beater? Okay. (laughs) No, you'll get gifts. See, you don't ask for these spiritual gifts. God is the one that appoints them to you. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. By definition, gifts are something we receive, not something that we take. Gifts are not something that we demand. It's by His grace. By definition, grace is unmerited. We don't deserve it. But God gives us those gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 7, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the Lord, but the same Lord. And this is kind of what I was talking about a little while ago. There are a variety of, you got the gift and a variety of services that come with that gift. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When Paul is talking to the people in Corinth, when he talks to the people in Rome, when Peter is talking to us, he is saying this is for the church. It is for the building up of the church, for the edifying of the church, for the encouragement of the church to bring wisdom, to bring magnification, to bring glory to God. And in verses to 1 Corinthians 12, 1, it says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who, who apportions to each one individually as he wills not as I will. I cannot ask for the gifts. I cannot ask for any specific gift. I mean, I guess I can ask for them, but God is going to give to you what you are gifted with as He wills, not as I will. You know, and it's interesting that a lot of people, they proclaim and they want and they desire all the showy gifts. You know, I want the gift of this and I want the gift of that. I want the showy gifts so I can get up there and and do my thing. And I always ask, why don't you ask for the gift of giving? Why don't you ask for the gift of giving? You're fine. Ask for the gift of helps. Ask God to give you because, brother, you sure don't want to help. Every time it's time to clean up, you're gone. Where's the brother at? You know? Ask for the gift of helps. You need that gift. The church needs that gift. But no, we want this showy gift, you know, so that we can be served. And God gives those gifts only to those that He sees according to as He wills. And so he is a sole giver of gifts. And when he gives the gifts, he gives them for the benefit and the edification of the church. Number two, God paid a high cost for your gift. God paid a high cost for your gift. And this is very key. It says in verse eight, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You see, this is a little obscured because... It's number one, it's from the Old Testament. You got to understand what Paul is talking about or what the psalmist is talking about. And number two, you also have to understand, you know, why is it spoken of a little bit different? It's written. And I've, I have this in your outlines. And it says in Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. See, In Ephesians, Paul says that God is giving gifts to men, and the psalmist says that God is receiving gifts from man. Well, well. first of all, in order to understand this portion, and you know, a lot of people have taken this verse and they've gone sideways with it. I mean, they take this verse without doing some homiletic research, going back and identifying what, the, what, the, what Paul is talking about and why is it different, and, and they just make up their own doctrine. And as a matter of fact, I think yesterday I kind of heard somebody say, oh yeah, Satan so went down and took the keys. And, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily work that way. But, but he, here's, here's and it was interesting because we're going to talk about it today. And, and here's what he's saying. First of all, in Psalm 68, this is a triumphal Psalm. Whenever there was a battle, a war, the king, the winning king, would take the spoils. He would take all the gold and all the, you know, from the temples that they worshipped in, and everything was theirs, and they would take their Prisoners as captives and they would take them to their hometown and what they would do is they would make slaves out of them they would make them workers in their kingdom so every time that a king went to battle and whoever won got the spoils got everything and so what the psalmist is saying and this is the, this is the battle this is a victory hymn composed by David to celebrate God's conquest of the Jebusite city and when he and it also represents the Ark of the Covenant when he's going up to Mount Zion so as you ascended on high as he's going up on high Jerusalem was up up high on a mountain and so when you're coming up high you're going up ahead of everyone you have this crown of victor crown you have this bow and this arrow you don't have your sword because the battle has been done now you've got peace you've got this train of people behind you and behind you you have all the spoils and you have all the enemies that you've captured and though and as you're going up everyone's giving you gifts because you have won the battle and so and after such battle was was done, he would take that up, and, and people would applaud him, and they would, would they would uh, really just thank you for keeping us safe. And a very good picture probably might be if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, when Marcus Aurelius uh, fought the Saxons, and then he was killed by his son. And then the son, Commodores, Commodus, I think is his name, he came in in his father's steed, and he comes forward, he has this huge parade, and, and everybody's just, yeah. You know, you, you, that, that's kind of the picture of what is going on here as David is uh, writing this out and what happened. And, and the phrase when he ascended on high depicts the triumphal Christ. Jesus Christ has already won the war. Satan thought he was done. They believed that he was, they spit on him, they laughed, and they really rejoiced. But his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus Christ conquered Satan, sin, and death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that sin and death have been defeated. Death has lost its sting. At one time it was very hard to understand where people went, how the how people what, what happened to them after they were gone from this planet. And they had this place called Shoal. And Sheol is not hell. But Shoal is kind of like a resting place in the Old Testament. And it was a resting place where they would be resting in a place where, where people were just waiting for the Christ to come. Because the Christ was going to offer the sacrifice to be able to release the captives. Shoal, if you would picture a huge round circle and divide that in half, the top part was for the righteous dead and the bottom half was for the unrighteous dead. And and when we get into this, I'll explain this to you a little bit more. But when we get into this, it says here. Um, well, you know, it says it says here that he. When when he ascended on therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and then there's this parenthetical. Statement in verses 9 and 10, you have to look at this with me. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. The only person that ever ascended was Jesus Christ himself all the way up to heaven. They saw him, they witnessed him ascend into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. So what Paul is saying, yes, he descended. He descended to the lower parts of the earth, to the bottom part of Sheol, where, where the where the captives, where, where the unrighteous dead are at, and, and the demonic forces that, that God had cast down there during the time of Noah, when he, he cast these demons into this bottomless pit that He's going to let loose during the Revelation. During the book of Revelations, they come loose and they, and they torment the world. But But down there is where this unrighteous dead is at. He didn't go down there to... Well, like some people say, to preach the gospel. It says here in verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens and the earth. In first Peter one, verse 18 through 19, it gives us a little bit different of a picture. And this is in your outline. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought with the price. You were bought with the price. You were ransomed from the feudal way inherited from your forefathers, not with uh, perishable things as silver and gold but with the precious blood of Jesus and, and when you are when you are in prison it takes something of an extraordinary amount of ransom to get you out of there and in um in first Peter chapter three it says this for Christ also suffered once for sins and this is on the back of your outlines by the way if you want to see this verse uh, and, and it's the second verse on the back of your outlines And it says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which, and here it is, he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. You see, the word that is used there is proclaim, caruso, to say, not evangelio, to to preach the gospel. It's not to share the gospel. He's not saving people in hell. He's not giving people a second chance to be regenerated. When you're the unrighteous dead, you're dead. What he went down there, he went to proclaim basically, "Nanny, nanny, nanny, you you know, I won. <laughs> Look at me. I am alive. And you, unrighteous dead, demonic forces of all time that we've been you've been held here, you are now conquered." And as he came up from the bottom of shoal he went through the top of Sheol where the righteous dead were at, where they were waiting. You see, the gospel message had been proclaimed. The good news, Jesus Christ, God himself was the gospel message proclaimed to Abraham. And they had to wait for Messiah to Complete, it is finished, Father. Those that are they have died in Sheol and they're waiting there, now we can bring them up to paradise. And he led this train of captives. And as he's going up in this train of captives, he's given gifts to the church. Because now, now you can accomplish the task that needs to be done because the price has been paid. It is finished when Jesus Christ said that. When he said that, telestai, it is done. And now the church can move forward. And because now the church can move forward, now it's accomplished. It is done. He's able to celebrate. And the evangelical hosts, they're all up there, the the, the angelic hosts, and they're celebrating glory to God in the highest. And now the righteous dead are alive and they're being brought up. So when he says this, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. God paid a cost for you, a high cost. Now, what I'm trying to get at, and I'm trying to paint this picture of how valuable that gift is that is in you. And when we squander it, Jesus Christ paid a price the price that he paid cost him his life. He paid it so that you can unfold that gift. You need direction. In, in just a little bit, we'll talk about the uh, prophets, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We'll talk about those that equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that gift that as Jesus Christ ascended leading this train of captives that had been held there for the time of the crucifixion and resurrection, giving gifts instead of receiving the gifts, as David had proclaimed. Now he's giving gifts. And you, if you're regenerated, if you're a genuine believer, have a gift. And it is, you know, it's amazing that as I see people that claim to be Christians, yeah, but I don't want to get involved. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't know what to do. You know, I'm not I'm not worth it or whatever the case. Is. Yes, you are. You may not be worth it. You're right. We're not worth it. We're not worth anything as Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. But the gift that God gave you, beloved, it was paid with a high cost, a huge cost. Look at look at again on the back of your outline. In 1 Peter three eighteen and 19, For Christ also suffered once for sins and righteousness, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us, bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. He proclaimed this to the spirits in prison. Number three, the gifts commissioned to the church. Here's the gifts that he gave. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. They call this the fivefold ministry of the church. There's a problem with that, calling it the fivefold ministry of the church, is that people assign themselves to be prophets, people assign themselves to be apostles, people assign themselves to be evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But it's the gifts that God has given for a very specific reason. Okay, again, in 1 Corinthians 12 28, you have the same. Uh, the same process. But here Paul puts it in a numerical order. He says, well, first of all, he says, and God has appointed in the church. First of all, he put apostles out there. Apostles are the sent out ones, those that Jesus Christ himself had selected. Now there's two types of apostles. There are the apostles, big A, the 12 apostles, minus uh, Judas and Matthias took his place. And we have a 13th apostle, which is uh, Paul himself. And then there are those that Jesus Christ himself sends out. As the apostle mission is concerned. So there's the office of apostles, and then there's the uh the work of an apostle that that gets to do the work, is being sent out. The office of the apostle, big A, capital A, those are the ones that Jesus Christ Himself selected. As a matter of fact, we have very we, we've gone through this already. We have a very clear definition of what an apostle is. You cannot be self-proclaimed. As a matter of fact, anybody that called themselves an apostle today is lying. Because you cannot be an apostle unless you were appointed by Jesus Christ. Number two, you had to be a witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that took place from the beginning to then, you had to be a witness of that, the the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Also, you had to have the ability to authenticate your apostleship by signs and wonders. The problem is that a lot of people claim that they heard from Jesus. A lot of people grasp this vision or something and then they claim that we have all this signs and wonders and it's always amazing on how people that have this ability of signs and wonders are a lot of times gifts or excuse me miracles that you can't really claim you know somebody walks in like this and then they get touched oh I'm healed all of a sudden they're standing straight up okay I don't know maybe it's adrenaline maybe something did happen I, I don't know but nobody has ever been able to cause a crippled man to strengthen up and straighten up. No one has ever been to able to resurrect a physically dead person. You see, a lot of these apostles, that's what they did. They did signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders of today are nothing like the signs and wonders of Of the past. You know, he's healed. We just got to keep praying for him. We got to believe it in faith. We got to believe it in faith. Look, look, he's moving. He's getting better. He's getting better. And months and weeks and years later, he's getting better until he finally dies. Okay, now he's perfect. See, I told you he was going to be perfect. When Jesus Jesus healed a person, it was instantaneously. When the apostles healed people, it was instantaneously. It happened at the touch, at the command of their voice to authenticate a message. Apostles. The Bible says number 1. We talked about this when we looked at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. Apostles constructed the foundations of the church. The apostles constructed the foundations of the church. Once again, when Paul said to the people in Corinth, first there was apostles. There was a significant verifiable reason that we needed apostles. We needed them to authenticate What Jesus Christ had done now see if you can put yourself in that place in the historical mindset of what was going on back then here comes Jesus Christ we know him to be God now we know him to be the one that died buried and resurrected we know him to be authentic we know him and that's why we follow him we follow him because the Bible says so testimony says so and you know the church has said so and so we follow Jesus Christ however here is this guy that grew up in Joseph's home now some people believe that Joseph had died you know, because at the end, it was only Mary that was following Jesus. Joseph wasn't there. So for whatever reason, they believe that, you know, he wasn't just an absent father, but he, was, he wasn't he was there anymore. And so Jesus is caring for his mother up to the age of 30. And through that time, he learned to trade. And he was a carpenter. And he was a pretty good carpenter, I, I would imagine. Can you imagine God making your furniture? <laughs> That'd be some lifelong furniture, right? Stuff is still around. He was a very good carpenter. And so he was well-known. People knew him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? As he would proclaim to be the Messiah. As he would proclaim to be God. Aren't you the carpenter's son? As a matter of fact, in one of the arguments that he has with the Pharisees, he's telling them, you are from your father the devil. If you were from my father, you would know who, who, who God is. Because Abraham would have told you, no, no, we are we are children of Abraham. You don't even know who your father is. Kind of like a, mm-hmm, yeah, born of a Virgin Mary. Okay, that doesn't sound right. And they blasphemed him in such a way to make him less than what he was. And so, remember, there's this 4,000-year-old there's this religion that has been going on that God had started from the beginning, and God has talked to the prophets. God has shared with the with the people through through uh, the word of God, and everything came to them through visions and dreams and and God's uh, presence. And then here comes this man that claims to be God, and so it was kind of a hard pill to swallow. But when they saw what Jesus Christ did, the way Nicodemus did, when they saw what Jesus Christ did, Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ in John chapter 3, and he said this, he said, We know that you are a man come from God, because no one can do the things you do unless God be with them. And he was a Pharisee, and he understood this. And we believe that at the end, he was ultimately saved. But the rest of the people just couldn't get, the apostles, they got, they saw him They saw what he did. You got to be the Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus asked them one day, he says, who do people say that I am? One of the apostles says, well, some people say that you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Oh, other people say that you're John the Baptist, who was beheaded. And who do you say that I am? Peter stood up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the chosen one. You are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. And Jesus tells him, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but it was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And so for whatever reason, and God is unveiling himself, revealing himself through Jesus Christ to some people, but not to others. And, and so you have this Christ. And people are flocking to him. And so therefore, he's speaking truth. People are being saved. People are being healed. He is crucified. He's resurrected. He commissions the disciples, the apostles. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. They are proclaiming Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected. People are being saved. And the book of Acts, it's not an instruction book as much as it is a transformational book. There's a transformation that takes place from the old to the new testament. And in that place, you need apostles. You need apostles with miraculous working to authenticate what Jesus Christ did. As a matter of fact, they call these guys Christians, little christs, in a sense to make them less than what they really were. They were, you know, you're like that. You're like that guy they beat up and hung up and pinned to a cross. You guys are, yeah, we'll take that. Because that's exactly what we are. And they did the miracles and they did everything to authenticate the word of God. This is what God has now initiated. Jesus Christ himself said, this is my new covenant. This is my new covenant. And so there was this transitional period from the Old Testament to the New Testament that took place in the book of Acts. And people take those and say, well, I can do those too. No, you can't, because God used them, as it says in Ephesians 2, verse 20. They constructed the foundations of the church. Paul is already setting that up, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's only one foundation, not two or three or four, you know, and there's only one Jesus Christ. One cornerstone. I'm not too sure if you know what a cornerstone is, but most masonry people would know that, you know, you start off in one corner. You, back then, they didn't have all the, the drawings and graphs and lasers and everything else that they have today, but they would find the squarest stone that they could find and they would square it perfectly square. And usually it usually was the biggest stone that they could find and they would put it where they knew the rest of the building was going to go. Everything was squared off to that cornerstone as it went out from east to west and north to south and as it went up. And the apostles were the foundation of this church. There's only one foundation, beloved, not many foundations. So as the church was established, the foundation was put together by apostles and prophets. Prophets, they, they also, what they did, number two, the second thing that they, they did, apostles and prophets, they collected and declared God's revered, revealed wood. They, they received and they disseminated. They, they got from God and they gave it to man. They, they were able to, to collect it. And, and as they spoke it, it was written down. And once it was written down, once it was authenticated, once it was put down on paper, we don't need anybody else coming up and saying, I'm an apostle too. I'm a prophet also. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord that you should do this, this, and this. You know, there was a coalition of, uh, of churches that got together and says you know we're prophets and you know we don't, we don't get it 100% of the time we don't we probably get maybe 65 to 75% of the time we get it right that's not a criteria in the Bible beloved if you miss just one God says you stone the guy you get rid of him you get rid of this false prophet and false apostles because there's only the ones that Jesus Christ had initiated he initiated them they were apostles and prophets, constructed the foundations of the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They collected and declared God's revealed word. And the word was revealed in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 1, if you go there with me. In Hebrews 1, it says this. Long, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There was a period of silence. No more prophets. If you go to the very first book of Matthew, excuse me, the very first page of Matthew, and I'm just going to show you, and your Bible should have this too. You should have one of these. And people wonder, how come there's a blank page there? Well, that blank page there, that represents 400 years of silence. After Malachi, God did not speak to the people until the angels proclaimed the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest and to earth on whom his favor falls. And for 400 years, think about it. The United States has been in existence almost 250 years. For 400 years, God didn't speak. And they call this the dark ages or the uh, intertestamental period where nothing took place, nobody would hear from God, nobody would see God. It's because, as the writer of the Hebrews says, long ago God spoke to us, these prophets. But now, now that it's all been silence and He came, boom, God is speaking to us through His Son. This is what we have to collect and we have to declare. Once it's collected, once it's declared, there it is. I don't need nothing else. I don't need an apostle. I don't need a prophet. I have the Word of God. Amen? That's it. Now think about this. Well, let me, let me just touch on the last one confirmed the apostles and prophets confirmed the word through signs and wonders Jesus Christ comes on the scene does all these signs and wonders they recognize there's something different there's something miraculous about him his apostles they go off and they do the same thing there's something going on here it's a new era it's a new time it's a new covenant and so they are confirming the word of God I don't need a sign to confirm the word of God I have the word of God I don't need a miracle to confirm that God exists well, I need a miracle. Why? Because I want to know that God exists. If you don't believe that God exists, you have bigger problems. There, there's more problems in your life right now than you really believe. God, you have his word right here. But when I want something, I want to feel something. Well, you know, you're going to feel something, all right? And it might not be God. You have to know something. You have to know what God says. And so... The miracles and the signs and the wonders, they confirmed what took place in the book of Acts. They confirmed it, and once it was confirmed, the books were collected, boom, we have a closed canon. The doctrine of the closed canon, there it is, this is all we need. But people say, yeah, but I got a word from God, really? Yes, and this is what he said. As a matter of fact, I, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm just not doing anything, but I got my camera on and I got, I'm on YouTube and, and I got subscribers that come in and, and, you know, sometimes I'm just sitting there just praying and praying. all of a sudden, God gives me something and I write it down. And I write it down because I want you to get it. This is what God says. There's a few people on YouTube that do this and they get a lot of followers because they want to hear something extra. They want to be special. They want to be touched by... I don't know what spirit they're being touched by. Because here's what happens, beloved. I want you to know something. In in my Bible, and I hope that you have the same Bible, it says back here um, that that Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's coming soon. uh, And and he says in verse 18, the last chapter and the last verses of of my Bible in Revelation, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So I want you to know something. There's, There's a warning here. And if you're getting revelation from God, if you're getting writings from God, if you're writing things down, I think that if it's that important from God, then maybe we should mass produce it and add it to the back of the Bible. And anybody else, what what, what did you get? Everybody, what what did you guys get? Can you you imagine the size of the Bible that we would have? Because everybody supposedly claims to have a word from God. Oh, but there's a problem here, because the rest of this verse says, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. We cannot add any more to it, beloved. God's given us a complete revelation of who he is. Everything that we need is right here. This is why we go through it systematically. This is why we look at it, look at what it's saying, what, the, what, what it meant to the believers that back then. This is why we do this, this careful study of it as we walk through it, because I want you to get this. You have heard a lot of stuff from people that claim that this is what the Word of God says, but it doesn't. And as we walk through this portion of Scripture and and we go through some sections, and I'll take more time on others because, yes, he gave apostles. Yes, he did give prophets, but he gave them for the foundation of the church. But now we have what's called evangelists. We have shepherds. We have teachers. We have deacons. We have elders. We have, uh, well, you know, there's a few other titles that we have. And those are the ones that now are building on what Jesus Christ established. We'll talk about evangelists, shepherd, pastor, teachers um, next week. You know, but for this week, just be thankful that you already have all that you need. It's right here. Why do you think there's such a mass movement against the Word of God? This is now being called hate speech because people don't agree with it. I've said this to you many times before. You will be persecuted not because you're a Christian. Ultimately, it's because of your faith in Christ. But you will be persecuted because of all the laws that are being developed even now. And all these laws that are being developed, they're being developed to go against Christian belief. Back in the 60s, the very first thing they started to do is get the husband out of the household. And raising children without fathers. School became the parent. The government became the, the husband. And so the school taught the children, the government took care of the, the mom and the kids. And and so, you know, we have this mass going on now. And and I don't know if you've read or kept up with a lot of the things that are going on through the, the county, or excuse me, the country, where parents are rising up against the school board. And now they are being targeted by the FBI as hate groups. They're being targeted by the FBI as those that are going up against the establishment. Because these are the new rules. These are the new teaching guidelines, and when you go up against the state, regardless of what it is that you like or dislike, I don't want my kids being taught that. And they say, well, it's too late. It's already been passed. It's a law. Now you are an enemy of the state. Forget about the fact that you're a Christian, but ultimately that's why you're rebelling. This will be taken out of your hands soon. It will be taken away, the word of God. You need to get this word of God into your head need to get it into your heart. Because this is what's already been put together. Why are they going after such a a very powerful book? Why? Because they know the power that it has in it. They know what the Word of God can teach and what it does and how it can transform an individual. This is why they're getting rid of it. This is why they're getting rid of churches. This is why they're getting rid of a lot of people that teach and preach this. One day I might be... Locked up, don't worry about me. Just, start a, well, just just start a GoFundMe page. Oh, they won't let you do that for, either, for me either. Uh, you know, just, I'll be ministering to people in prison, if I need to be. The, the fact of the matter is is that it's coming for everyone, not just me, not just the leaders, for you as well. And what will happen? It'll sift the church. It'll sift the church. And those that are genuine, ready for it, will be standing. Last week, uh, I was speaking to somebody, and they said, you know, I'm already up in my, my 60s. And I always thought that I could stand for the persecution. But just the little things that have happened, I've folded quite a bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to think what's going to happen. I'm afraid to think what's, what's going to happen when it actually hits. And I said, well, we need to pray that you can stand firm, let nothing move you, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us stand. Apostles and prophets, there are many out there. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, that the Word of God says that they've already been, it's done. They did their job. You know, we're not going to wait for other revelations or new words from from God. I mean, it's done. God's word is sufficient. When we look for another revelation, we're thinking, well, God's word wasn't enough. And I like this one better because it suits my needs. Or I like that one better because, yeah, that one sounds less conflicting. But Father in heaven, I just want to want to proclaim and profess right now that we stand on your word. Every jot and tittle. Everything that you have commanded us to do, everything you've asked us not to do, everything that you've led us to do and you grow us, and you've developed this church and you've given gifts to these people to be able to work that out and work our salvation out. So I pray that each person here can understand the significance of that gift that you paid for, that you died for, that you gave just for each one of us. Give us that And because it comes from you, you will empower us, Holy Spirit, to be able to accomplish the task that you've given us to do. And because we are uniquely and individually created, and we're put together in such a way that if that task does not get done, it does not get done at all. You're not going to give it to somebody else. And so help each one of us to be able to come to that understanding. But first and foremost, Lord, we have to come to the point where we are genuinely reborn. Because otherwise, it's just activity. And I pray that the message, Father, that you came to save, that you came to save sinful men like myself, men and women that have recognized their need for you, that we repent and we pursue this life of holiness in spite of what the world has around us, that we repent and we pursue honoring you, bringing glory to you in all that we do. Lord, for those that have been saved, for those that already have your spirit within their heart, they already have the patience, they have the humility, they have the gentleness, they have the love that bears all things. It's already there. We don't have to pray for it. What we need to pray for, Lord, is to pray for wisdom, to know how and when to put that into effect. But for those that yet have not yet felt that or sensed that or realized that, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that there is repentance in their heart right now, that repentance comes and takes over their life, that they recognize that they are sinful and that we need a Savior, and we need to repent and turn to you. Believe this gospel message. And Father, when the the truth is proclaimed, we will know it. When it's not proclaimed, we will know it as well. So thank you, Father, for all that you do as you lead us. As we share this week with our friends and family, thanking you, let us thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We can stick around. Yesterday we had a bunch of sweets and stuff brought over. Uh, We have a bunch of them here, so stick around and do some fellow shaping with us. Amen. We're dismissed.